Hey everyone, JS Leonard here. Um, just want to say thank you and welcome to the first episode of Bleeding Ink. This is um, a new podcast. It's for indie authors, it's for writers and those who want to publish their work and unleash their creativity on the world. Um, and it's something special. You know, I want this to be something where you'll derive an amazing amount of value and be able to take that and use it become awesome with it. And uh, I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. There, there is nothing to writing. All you do is sit down at a typewriter and bleed and bleed and bleed. What's this? Bleeding Ink, a podcast for indie authors with J.S. Leonard. <laughs> Welcome to episode one of Bleeding Ink. Today, I'm really excited to have uh, a special guest on the show. It's, he's an independent bookstore owner, and I have found that as a writer, it's a great thing to go establish relationships with uh, independent bookstore owners. They can offer a ton of value to indie authors, especially those uh, you know seeking to get their books on on uh, store shelves. And it occurred to me that that. Drew would be a great person to talk to about this very subject. So here I am heading out to the writer's block. All right. Where is this place? So the writer's block is really close to downtown Vegas where they're renovating a bunch of stuff. and It's kind of the hip new hangout for all the tech geeks and actually just regular folks want to have fun to be honest it's pretty cool <clears throat> catty corner to atomic liquor which is a nice bar according to anthony bourdain ah vegas needs more independent bookstores like this so good when i first entered the writer's block uh i was overcome by nostalgia and that original right. feeling of wow i'm being embraced by literature and there's so much here for me to go explore and my curiosity led me to speak with the owners of the store um drew cohen and his partner scott and we got to know each other a little bit and i was fascinated with his approach to things so here, here he is yes that's right, right. yeah drew thank cohen. you <laughs> really happy to have you on the podcast here. thank you so much i'm my pleasure um, so we're at the writer's block right now. It's really awesome independent bookstore in Vegas. And, um, I couldn't be more excited to have something like this here, especially as a writer, but not just as a writer, as someone who loves books and who misses that intimate bookstore feeling that, you know, used to get back in the day. I don't know. I used to, at least when this seemed like independent bookstores were a lot more prevalent. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I grew up in independent bookstores. I was lucky enough to live in a small town that had a really large very active independent bookstore. Yeah, so tell me, tell me about that. I want to I hear about your... Yeah, story. well, I, I it was called Book Review. It's in Huntington, New York, for anyone who might be familiar. And it was a very large and very active independent bookstore. It's still there. Um, it's where I met J.K. Rowling as Whoa. a 12-year-old. Got her signature between and, books three and four. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, and my it was, God. That's like my dream. It was such a... She was so predictably pleasant, as as you can imagine. Yeah, because, I love her interviews. Yeah, yeah. she's uh, 
just a superstar uh, in every capacity. But so I, I mean, I would spend hours just browsing that store. It's it was it is still it's a huge uh, uh, mansion sized store that spans two stories. Uh, so I don't know that we get too many independent bookstores on that scale opening that haven't already established themselves mm -hmm. uh, as a brand and as a, as a presence in their community. But at any rate, yeah, it was it was a huge uh, uh, influence on me growing up in yeah. terms of my reading and writing habits. Yeah. So, so you do you write too? I, I do. I'm, I write fiction, uh, yeah. not not aggressively per se. I'm working on a novel, and I have a short story coming out in Las Vegas Writes this year, which really? is uh, a local. Uh, and, and I was about to say quarterly, but it comes out once a year to coincide with the book festival, so it's an annual nice. publication. Oh, that's cool. So, so is, how, how long is the short story? About how many words? Oh, it's it's pretty short. It's about thirty six hundred words. Oh, that's really short. It's short. Big I write short. That's really cool. So, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Okay. So. What inspired you and Scott, right? That's right. Yeah. What inspired you two to, to come to Vegas out of all places? He, he was from New York as well, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, the background on how the writer's block came to be is that Scott it was the executive director and co-founder of a literary non-for-profit in New York called 826NYC. It's still there, and it's part of a national network of non-for-profits founded by the author Dave Eggers. And they do free creative writing classes for kids, which is oh. what we also do here, incidentally. Yeah. Um, but the store, they, they're, it's a similar setup where there's a storefront at the front of the building. Um, and then in, in the back is an education space, similar to how we're set up here. Uh, but with 826, with all the 826s around the country, the storefronts are novelty storefronts. They, they sell things, but it's more of a joke. So in New York, it was a superhero supply store. In San Francisco, it was pirates, or is pirates still, and so on. Uh -huh. So we, Scott and I, were both ready for change, ready to get out of New York. Uh -huh. We're kind of exasperated by the non-for-profit. And, and you'd been there all your life? I grew up in the suburbs of New York on Long Island, okay. and then I lived in Brooklyn for about seven or eight years. Oh, yeah. Um, I have family from Brooklyn. Yeah, uh, it's... Brooklyn's amazing. It's great. Yeah. It's very expensive, though. Yeah, um, it it's a tough place to be, especially as a reader or writer, possibly because it's the, to some extent, self-appointed literary capital yeah. of the United States. Yeah. So there's just a lot of uh, chest beating, and it's just, it's a little bit hard to get unclouded work done That's there. Yeah, so, but you brought that energy to Vegas. Yeah, well, Vegas feels, it's, it was, it's ripe for change right now. There's just oh, yeah. a lot happening here. Um, we had a, a friend in common with someone working at Downtown Project. They expressed an interest in getting an 826-style literary education space here. They also expressed an interest in having a bookstore, and so we thought to combine the two elements and cool. pitched our idea to Downtown yeah. Project, and they, they eventually funded us, and that's, that's the story. That's how we got here. So... Yeah. So when you approached opening the store, did you want it to be more of like a literary fiction type store, popular fiction, readerly versus writerly? That like, was it's what, a good question. What was your goal? It, the goal at the front, the, the at the outset was very open ended. It was whatever bookstore the city needs because there isn't any other general interest independent yeah. bookstores. I was so, going to ask yeah. you that. Are you the only one here? We're the only one in Las Vegas, and we're one of only two in Nevada. Yeah. The other is in uh, is in Reno, Sundance Books. So you've got your big Barnes and Nobles, and then you have 
Exactly. Kind of the and too. yeah, so the, the, there are two Barnes and Nobles in Las Vegas, um, and then there's us now, and there's a slew of independent bookstores as well. Um, but for so at the, at the outset, I wasn't sure what would sell. So I, my my own tastes are a little more literary um, or writerly, mm-hmm. a lot of literary fiction and literary nonfiction. So that was what I wanted to carry, but I tried to carry a little bit of everything, yeah. and we found that people were mostly buying the literary stuff yeah. because I think their needs were being met by the Barnes and Nobles for the more um, mass market books. And I think that those those genres and those categories of books are have their share of the market has certainly been affected more by ebooks than I think literary fiction. Yeah. Well, what did you grow up reading? Uh, I grew up well. I wasn't always a big reader as a kid. Yeah. Um, I, I it took me a while to get into reading. Same. Too. Like I was big into films and video games mm-hmm. for a really long time, and I'm still into both oh, of I'm them. I'm sure we could totally talk about that as oh, well. I love all that stuff. Um, <laughs> in high school, I became a big reader. I had some really great English teachers, and they got me hooked onto primarily 19th century English literature mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And to this day, that is still yeah. the bulk of what I read and what I love reading, yeah. and is what influences my writing. Yeah, I'm so. a big fan of that stuff too. Yeah, so Love that's, it. that's what I like to read. So. so as far as like other independent bookstores, do you talk with any other owners? Do you talk with them across the nation? I know there's none here. Yeah, but a you, little bit. Is there like a cohort or a there is. of independent bookstore owners? And I want to get an idea of what their, what their attitude is, like what they're trying to yeah, get. Yeah, there are. And we have an odd relationship, I think, as a Las Vegas independent bookstore. Um, with the sort of national consortium of independent booksellers. There's an organization called the um, ABA, the American Booksellers Association. It's kind of like a union of independent Mm. bookstores. And membership is all but mandatory, I feel like. But I will say (laughs) that it depends... The stuff that they can provide independent booksellers, the value of it will really vary from bookseller to bookseller. They provide a lot of graphics to hang in your store, handouts, um, book ordering suggestions, galleys of new books. Unfortunately for us, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, we do all of our graphic design in-house. And you do a great job. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. so my my husband, Scott, is a a skilled designer, so we're able to do that. We have the luxury of of having that in-house. And then the book buying, we're so small, there's only so much I can buy. I don't really need a lot of suggestions or a lot of galleys. So for us, the the perks of membership are a little bit mixed. Mm -hmm. But in general, you will find that independent bookstores do communicate nationally with each other. It's somewhat of just an inevitable circumstance. They all look at the same books. They all look at the same bestseller lists. They emulate each other. Where are these lists? How do you, how does yeah. an author get into that list? How how does someone become visible to you? They become visible to me. Uh, I mean, it's so this podcast focuses on self-published and independently Independent, published yeah. authors. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be. It's very tricky if you're in that position mm-hmm. to get your your book out there. Yeah. I mean, we. I on a daily basis will look at NPR. I look at Publishers Weekly. Uh-huh. Um, Publishers Weekly does do features yeah. on independent books, so I will see them there. Uh-huh. Um, in mailing lists, I look at Shelf Awareness is a blog that I highly Shelf Awareness is one I recommend any uh, independent author who's interested in being carried at brick and mortar stores that they subscribe to Shelf Awareness I do see indie book lists there as well Um, it's just it's it's just sort of luck to some extent. It's, it's, a ma- it's a matter of whether or not I see an ad for your book on a site that I'm at at any given time. Um, and it matches what you're carrying in it the It does. Store. And this yeah. may be getting ahead of ourselves, but no, I, I, can't, I can't overstate enough the importance of good design. Yep. Um, it will sell your book more than almost any other factor. So good design. 
Are we talking, I mean, I know it's the whole package, but let's talk about important elements. So you got the cover. I think the cover probably is what it's you're It's hugely yeah. important, yeah. yeah. But then you have the blurb, and then you have um, author, other authors pitching for your book, and, you know, the, the um, whatever, the, the, read this book, because I'm XYZ author. Right, right. And um, so how important, like, it, can you rank those elements? Like, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'd say the book cover is probably the most important element, yeah. um, that you have a design that looks uh, professional and interesting and does not look like a stock photo um, with some unexciting font imposed on top of it. Um, I would say the blurbs rank actually fairly low unless I know the authors that are doing the blurb. They're not going to necessarily hurt an author's case in terms of a book set they're carrying it, but if I don't know the author, it doesn't really mean anything to me. And I'll add to that that even with traditionally published books, I don't really look at blurbs either. I don't know if this is true of other booksellers, but... Um, I'm kind of blind to blurbs at this point. I mean, yeah. I, I, authors are required to write them. It's part of their publishing contract. I don't; they don't always carry that much weight for me. So, um, but I, I look at the cover, and if, if I'm looking at your physical book, I do look at the interior too. Yep. So, having a book professionally typeset or um, taking the time, and it takes a lot of time. So, this yep. is no small feat. But to yep. learn how to typeset your own book, that's also going to be very valuable to yeah. you. And you, you do covers here, right? What was that? You do covers here, right? You, you create pretty sweet covers. We can, yeah. I mean, we, we're going to have a quarterly starting next year um, that we'll be doing the design for in-house. And we, we have fun doing book covers. But it's, it's tough. You, I, most people, myself included, are better served by hiring a good designer, um, even if it's going to cost us something up front. Yeah. Um, and that will help you even with an ebook if your book looks oh, absolutely. attractive. So. so we've got cover, we've got blurbs, we've got, you know, just the overall design. Um, then you're going to look at the, 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 I think, the nitty-gritty of the book. Do you, do you look for good copy editing? I mean, I imagine that that's extremely important. I, yes, I, well, so this, this also comes into whether or not I'm carrying a book on consignment or whether I'm going to carry it, actually buy copies for yeah. my store and stock them. Yeah. Um, if I'm going to stock the book in my store and if it's not going to be returnable or only returnable under very inconvenient circumstances. Um, so let's talk about that. Yeah. So how does that work normally? So the way most booksellers operate is independent booksellers, I should emphasize, is we try to buy our books non-returnable because that gets us the best discount terms. So when I buy books from Random House or Simon mm-hmm. & Schuster, mm-hmm. I'm typically not able to return them. I'm taking a gamble. Mm-hmm. Um, if it doesn't sell, it doesn't sell. I'm mm-hmm. stuck with it. But I get a good, heftier discount on it. Yeah. So, so it's, 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 it's a big discount. It's 50% is wow. what you aim for, and then sometimes you can get higher depending on the publisher of the book and if there are promotions. Interesting. Um, so that's, that's for traditional publishing. For independent publishers, um, it, it depends uh, on the publisher. Um, if they're distributed through a major distributor like PGW or Perseus or yeah. something like that, I'll, I can just order it. If I'm interested in the book, if I've seen press for it, if it's come across my radar and I like it, I'll get it that way and I'll get it non-returnable. Yeah. And if it's being distributed by one of those uh, distributors, I can assume it meets a minimum standard of quality. So I'm not even worried about copy editing at that point. Yeah. If it's a true indie author who is publishing the book themselves, if I'm going to buy it, it has to be immaculate. Like yeah. I expect, I can't tell you how many self-published books I've seen where the first sentence has had been grammatically unsound, and that's really problematic. Um, so those are the sorts of things that really need to be addressed early on. Yeah. If it's for consignment, however, so I we also do books on consignment. And I don't exercise very much prejudice if it's a consignment book. Okay. If it meets very minimum standards, I'll carry it because 
Um, because we can return the book at the end of the consignment period. I'm not stuck with it if it right. doesn't sell. Um, so that most independent bookstores you will find will opt to carry self-published or independently published books on consignment for that reason. So that's common across the... It's extremely common. Almost yeah. every independent bookstore, if they have like a website, if they're established, um, they will have a consignment policy usually posted on their site with an application and you can read the entire process there. Uh-huh. And that's what I would recommend for indie authors who want their book in a given store is mm-hmm. check their website first, check mm-hmm. to see the policy. So what would get you to take a book from consignment to stocking it on your shelf? Um, Independent book. Two things would be if it sells really well um, during its consignment period at the bookstore, that would be hugely influential for me. And then also, as I mentioned, the design and the production on the book. Yep. Um, if it looks good, if it's been formatted well, if, it, if the writing is good from what I can glean, I'm not going to be able to read. I don't really get to read... I get to read extremely few of the books that we carry across the board. Um, so, but if what I've read is really good, um, and also if it fits our bookstore, yeah. that's really important. We're especially small at the writer's block. We are the bookstore portion of our space is like twelve hundred square feet. Yeah. So, um, what would you say is the average square footage for independent bookstores? It's tough. I would say probably twice our square footage, okay. but it varies. Um, it, it really varies. Um, there are smaller ones. I've heard of ones that are like 500 square feet. But, but yeah, I mean, if it, if it really feels like it fits into our wheelhouse, I would be more in, uh, inclined to, to carry it on a non-consignment basis. But, gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Do you stock any independent titles right now? Right now, I mostly stock... So if there are self-published books that do not have a distributor, I do them through consignment. So right now, every month we're doing um, between three and five consignment authors who are self-published, typically local, and we're showcasing their book, and they're available in the store, but only for one month for each of those mm-hmm. books. Otherwise, there are other there are small presses I carry, um, and it would be difficult for me to enumerate them all um, <laughs> off the top of my head because there's so many of them, and they're tiny, but there are lots of consortiums um, of small presses that, you know, so small press distribution, foremost among them. There's a lot of, uh, in our store, we've got a lot of little uh, esoteric poetry and creative fiction volumes that are... I wouldn't call them self-published, but they're almost, I mean, they're really independent. Yeah, Yeah. very small independent presses. The key there is that since I order thousands of books, um, you know, well, I would say I order a little over a thousand every month. And so thousands over the course of a few months, um, it's better for me if I can get books from the same places. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't like to create accounts for just one book. Mm -hmm. So I, Having a distributor is really important mm-hmm. for a small press. Do you order through Ingram Spark or sorry, um, Lightning Source? No, that's a good question. Yeah, so um, that's so there are two. I call them wholesalers. I don't know if that's just my expression, mm-hmm. but Ingram and Baker and Taylor are two kind of clearing houses for books. Um, you can basically get anything for both of them. And the discount is not as good. So that's typically why independent booksellers don't want to order just everything from yeah, Baker and Taylor yeah, yeah. and Ingram. So I, we personally don't order much from Ingram because it, it, the discount is worse than it would be if we ordered it from the publisher or from Baker and Taylor. And even though we can return books to Ingram, technically, we have an allowance on what we can, we can return. Interesting. And if we're not spending a certain amount of money per year on books, then we can't return very much worth of books. Mm. So even though your book might technically be returnable via Ingram Spark, that does not mean an independent bookstore will be able to return it unless mm. they've purchased a certain amount of books that you're mm. already. So that's why I, when I do meet with folks who are doing expended, extended distribution, mm-hmm. um, like through creative 
Create Space or Ingram Spark. Mm-hmm. Um, so their book is available on Ingram. Yeah. I I warn them that it may not be all that it seems because it may not always mean that your book is going to be enticing to independent booksellers. Now, I know, I think Ingram um, will put your book into other catalogs, and there's bigger catalogs that it can go into, and I think mm-hmm. that you order through that catalog, and it'll, I don't know, I think that's how it works. So there are, what the, the other catalogs you mentioned earlier would be the, which ones were the other catalogs you look at? So catalogs, um, I don't, so Ingram and Baker and Taylor do have their own catalogs of bell makeup, but I, as a Given the scope of our store, I don't actually typically look at those catalogs. I'm mostly looking at publisher catalogs directly. There's a website called Edelweiss. That Edelweiss. They, yeah, and that's it's one that all independent bookstores pretty much will use. They can even order through it. Um, that's where publishers upload their catalogs, including small ones. And uh, and then otherwise, what I do look at, as I mentioned, are lots of blogs, and I'm on a lot of mailing lists. I so. would love to get the links to those blogs. Yeah, of course. That yeah, I can so provide those. Um, so you, yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about um, that small publisher sort of scenario. Um, is that kind of like a hybrid publishing type deal where it's uh, a lot of it falls on the author's shoulders as well as falling to the publishers? Or how does that normally work? Are you, fam- are you familiar with the Yeah, I'm familiar publishing? with the hybrid um, model. Um, I feel as though the independent publishers I'm talking about are probably more, their practices are more traditional, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that these publishers um, handle the marketing for the books. Um, but... I mean, they just they have less money to spend, so there's going to be less marketing done. So some will just fall to the author just because. Do you ever you speak with like agents? Would that ever? Be in your I don't anymore? ever really speak with agents. We know a few agents just from our time in New York and from knowing some writers and knowing some agents. But as a bookseller, yeah. I don't ever have opportunities to speak yeah. with agents. Unfortunately, for um, for authors that come by looking for for agent recommendations. Um, it's pretty segregated, the publishing industry. So booksellers don't typically talk with agents. They don't typically talk with people managing, um, who are in the business of producing and managing writing and writers. That doesn't typically happen. We mostly talk with sales reps and the publishers uh, themselves. And yeah. authors, usually will. And authors, independent authors, um, we speak with a lot. But even if, you know, when it comes to big authors coming to bookstores to do signing, signings, more often than not, those are coming from the publisher, and they're not okay. even, that, that doesn't often initiate. So does the publisher contact you, or do you usually reach out to the publisher? It could be either or both, so it, it varies. Um, if, a, if a publisher has an author touring in the area, they'll sometimes contact us. If we really want an author, we'll contact them and typically not get the author. But that's, yeah. that's, that's usually how it comes. Well, what do you look for in an author when you want to do a book signing? Like, what's Well, right now we're still so new, and I don't, Las Vegas, unfortunately, isn't on the author touring circuit mm-hmm. so much right now. Yeah. Um, you'll notice that even the local Barnes and Nobles will get um, folks who are not necessarily famous for being writers, but are just famous for other things. So yeah. Santana was here. Right. And, um, I that, ran into him a couple times. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. well, he was here signing in Barnes and Noble. Um, and as was uh, this a female, I want to say, uh, she's not a martial artist anyway, but she's, I'm blanking on her name, so this is not going to get me anywhere. But um, in terms of what we look for in authors, right now we're we're looking for for anyone yeah. <laughs> because we're still new. We're trying to build up our, our calendar. So, I mean, we look for things that we feel can draw a crowd and that are compatible with our store. So we love 
as a store that carries a lot of literary fiction, we look for people who write literary fiction. Yeah. We look for people who do poetry. We look for people who write about the city that we're in because it's very that's very popular here. So we had a historian Michael Green here last week. Who How'd that go? Went really well. Um, what was and the turnout about? It was um, probably 50 or so people. We sold out of his books. It was oh, standing wow. room only. So, I mean, and that was, he. his book was a textbook. Uh-huh. But because it was about the, Nevada, because it was of local interest, um, that drew a really big crowd. So Was that advertised just locally? In, in the yeah, news, we advertised or? it. It was on a few um, events pages. We uh, mentioned it on our mailing list and our social media. Um, one thing we could definitely work on as a bookstore is getting our events out there a bit more, um, yeah. for sure. But, but yeah, I mean, it. It, it was a really great event. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we, we just look for things that make sense for us. I, and if for, lo- for independent authors, I think one of the keys is finding bookstores that are compatible with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, finding places that look like the book that you've written, if mm-hmm. your book has a visual identity, or that share the same uh, sensibilities that your book has. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's a huge spectrum of... of like what that vibe is for each independent bookstore. So um, do you think it would be smart if you're an author, if you're visiting a city, to go find the independent bookstore or a few of them and walk in there and be like, hey, I've got a book. Would this be something to be of interest to you? Yeah, I think that that's a great idea. Um, the one thing I would caution against is coming out too strong. Mm-hmm. Um, like how, would, how, would that, how would that be? How, how would someone come on too strong? Too strong. So I would like, say... Tell me my book. Yeah, well, that, that of course. <laughs> um, I, check out, as much as you can, learn about a bookstore before you try to get your book there. That's okay. what I would recommend. Um, this is an extreme example, um, but we recently had someone submit a book for consignment, and the book was explicitly anti-gay and anti-gay uh. marriage, and we're like a gay-owned and operated bookstore. We're not a gay we're not an LGBT bookstore. Sure. Um, yeah. We don't even have a section dedicated to just that topic, but it did feel, it was an awkward situation and it was one that could have been p- potentially avoided um, if the author had so much as taken a pass through our store and looked in our current affairs yeah. section. Um, so I recommend that people, and this is, it doesn't always have to be such a political uh, <laughs> example. It could be something as simple as being a romance author going into a bookstore that doesn't have a romance section. Sure. So I think that it's it's good to just at least if you can't go in person, check them out online. Yeah. Just try to know what they sell before you go to them and okay. then approach yeah, them. That's, that's really um, good. Just because you, know, you never know. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. Um, so I think with independent bookstores, it's, I think a lot of us would love of books, right? I mean, that's why you open the store. How can, you must face a serious conflict between altruism, like trying to help, you know, books that won't sell, between books that do sell. Like, how do you approach the balance there, that balancing act of carrying titles you know are high quality but may not, you know, appeal to everybody versus the stuff that, you know, is going to sell? Yeah, that's the tough question. Um, Well, I will say that independent bookstores, that that's less of a dilemma for them, I feel like, than big box ones. Because our customers typically share the same tastes um, that, that we have. They, mm-hmm. share, they share tastes with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't actually have to deal with that as often as you might think. Typically the, um, the conflict between what I want to carry and what will sell, isn't, it doesn't come up that often. I've tried selling um, books that I thought would just sell fast, yeah. the David Baldacci's yeah. and the um, you know, uh, 
whoever else, you know, the Catherine Coulters of the world. Uh, and they, they don't really sell at our bookstore. I think people are buying those at big box stores. And so they've kind of, yeah. so it isn't that, that much of a dilemma for us. And how I deal with it, if, if it is, is I just buy one, I carry one copy of the book that I love and that I'm an advocate for. And then I end up carrying three copies of the new Judy Bloom book because I know it will sell. And I, no, I have no problem with Judy Bloom, but it's just a commercial reality that that's, <laughs> that will sell a lot. And the other book, yeah. we'll just, we'll see. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> as far as like the publishing landscape, what changes are you noticing? Are you seeing a huge sort of shift towards self-publishing or are publishers stepping up and doing things to appeal to those that may do that? Um, like what's, what's... It varies from publisher to publisher. So certain publishers have tried to um, enter the fray and uh, sort of become a partner with self-published and hybrid authors and others yeah. are not. So for example, HarperCollins has been extremely friendly to self-published authors um, and independent authors. Uh -huh. They have an entire um, web store dedicated to it. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, Penguin Random House, which is a monolith in the publishing world, I don't really see anything like that happening yeah. with them. Um, so I think it varies. Um, genre fiction is, I think, the relationship between self-publishing and traditional publishing is 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 more interesting in, in, in genre fiction. I see more authors who have self-published getting book deals and then moving out of the self-publishing world in traditional publishing. Interesting. So they just kind of grow. Yeah. So the trajectory takes them into a publishing role. Exactly. Once they've sort of proven themselves. Yeah. Be like an independent band. Exactly. I mean, the the signing. most high-profile and emblematic instance of that would be Fifty Shades of Grey, which started as a self-published book. Mm. And we're seeing, I, I see a lot of sort of imitation books that fall into yeah, that category. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, there's like the After series that Simon & Schuster purchased up after it was published on Wattpad or Wattpad. I've never yeah, said Wattpad. it out loud. Yeah. Um, but that's, yeah. The so, iPhone app or whatever? What was that? It's yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. So I never use it. It looks interesting. It does seem interesting, and I know that a lot of uh, a lot of authors are making the transition from that app into uh -huh. traditional publishing contracts. Are you serious? They're taking they're going from Wattpad. It happens because wow. I, especially with I mean, I, literary fiction. There's such a chokehold on it um, in the sense that it's it's kind of a you know you're in an MFA program and then you, you know, get an agent and that agent gets your book published. If you're writing like, you know, literary, you know, the next Marilyn Robin, if you're the next Marilyn Robinson or Alison Monroe or uh, Alice Monroe rather or uh, Jonathan Franzen. But if you're, if you're writing genre fiction, romance, horror, um, suspense, I do think that making that transition is, is becoming increasingly possible and likely and familiar. So if you can prove that you can sell a huge quantity of your book as a self-published author. Yeah, what's a huge quantity? Ooh. And is it online or Jeez. is it physical copies? It can be online. I don't think it has to be um, physical copies by any stretch. Um, that I don't know. I don't know numbers. I would think hundreds of thousands of copies. Yeah. Um, but but at that point, do you think that person would, would need to be published? <laughs> I don't know. I As someone who's not, hasn't yet thrown, um, you know, sort of, uh, hasn't, I'm not attempting, as someone who is not an aspiring author just yet in, in the published sense, I don't know how to, I don't know what the answer to that is. I do know it must be a lot easier to be traditionally published because yeah. then you have um, a publisher's PR team working on your behalf. Right. You have a, a fact, uh, well, if you're writing nonfiction, a fact checker, but you have someone line editing your work, typesetting it, um, doing quality assurance for it. Uh -huh. um, you also have them distributing your book, selling yeah. your book. You have a, they, publishers have sales reps that go to bookstores and Yep. And they're very persuasive. Um, so tell me about that experience. You've had sales rep come in for an yeah, author. Yeah, we get a lot of... Well, they won't typically come for one author. They'll be representing their entire catalog of books for that season. Yeah, tell me about um, that. 
what will often happen is we usually will do this online because we're on the phone. Yeah. Um, we don't get a lot. Of, surprisingly, I don't get too many sales reps coming to Las Vegas. Um, but I will, I will literally go through the entire catalog page by page with a sales rep. And I will often be, and I mean this affectionately, but bullied into purchasing books that I would not necessarily have considered buying. But the sales rep just works it so hard. So, I mean, that's true for all, for the big five publishers, certainly for, you know, Penguin Random House, Simon Schuster, and so on. That's, so you do have a lot of, uh, of weight put behind you when you're traditionally published and it does I imagine free up your time to do the writing yeah the writing and yeah. not have to because you are you're doing two jobs when you're self-published yep. you're and it's and they're two full-time jobs mm -hmm. and one of them is writing is extremely temperamental already it's definitely a business yeah um, being self-published for that matter so even if the financial um consequences aren't are negligible you know the difference between them are negligible even if you make quite a bit self-publishing and I don't I don't know actually I've never self-published um I imagine that the the luxury of just having more time to write might yeah. be worth it um it's true so but the cut at the end of the day when you get your paycheck it's a lot less <laughs> so yeah I mean but, I guess that's something that but, yeah uh, you know, there's definitely benefits to both. Um, I think you can get pretty far as an independently published author if you, um, as far as everything but distribution and the sales rep stuff. Yeah. I think you can pretty much get away with everything else and, and be top notch. Yeah. But that's yeah. that's the hard part, and that's where they definitely have the hold. Yeah, um, they do. And they, I'll say, like, as an independent bookstore, um, it's we get tunnel vision. Um, and in a way, we are working in the same rhythms as the, the traditional publishers. So if independent authors are running up against stores that they're having trouble getting their book carried in them and they're getting frustrated by the experience, I would say that they that's something to keep in mind, is it is a tricky... Um, there's a codependency between bookstores and publishers. Have you seen uh, any sort of sales group facsimile type thing for independently published authors, or has that ever happened? I have. Um, there's a There's a... Publisher called Tate Publishing, um, for instance, where you can, but it has not worked in the favor of the authors in that uh, so? that instance. Tate Publishing, um, from what I can understand, is that you pay them somewhere in the ballpark of four thousand dollars, and they publish, format, and distribute your book for you. And they will actually they have a PR team that will email blast independent bookstores and call them, cold call them, to try to book signings. Um, but it, from my from my experience, it's had the the complete opposite effect of what I think the authors yeah. and and tape publishing are hoping. I get very exasperated um, and have not, and often will ignore the requests from them. So I think that you is walk it because a fine the, line. is the stuff they're pitching usually the not? the stuff is pitching is um, the, my major beef of them. For instance, is 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 it ties back to what I said previously about knowing the bookstore before you try to get your book in it. They'll be trying to get books in our store that are just wildly unsuitable for it, and it oh, indicates yeah. to me that they haven't even so much does like bother to even look on our website for example yeah. so that's what will irritate me there um you know the other thing too is a lot of them are i, I i'm lost to uh to book a book signing for a single independent author that hasn't demonstrated that they have a, a fan base in the community how do you how do you gauge fan base um God, I mean, it's word of mouth. It's have I heard of you to yeah. some extent. It's uh, it's tricky through, to through measure. Your blogs yeah, I mean, and through just our customers. And I mean, if it's a repeat name that I hear of, if people in the community are talking about the author. But I think that the point is that it's um, with our consignment authors, for example, I book 
a group of them together to do a signing because yeah. I'm worried that I won't be able to get enough people to attend a book sure. signing for just one author if they are new and or if they're independently mm-hmm. published. And it's not just selfishness. It's no, not no, no, that no. I... You have a bottom line. Well, we have a bottom line, but it's also... I. It's really mortifying for bookstores when people don't show up for book signings and events. We feel terrible for the uh, author. And that's yeah. actually like... that's a, It's very stressful. And in some ways, I would, I would almost pay just to have people come to things sometimes, <laughs> even if it adversely affects our bottom line. So that's another thing to consider is um, if you're having trouble getting events booked as an independent author, it's not always that the bookstore is being selfish. It's they might just they might have had too many experiences where people haven't shown up, and it's 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 mortifying. And they, and they don't want to replicate that again. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that was another problem I had with the with the tape publishing uh, Interesting. Uh, tactic where they would call again. I I don't know that these are authors aren't local. I don't know if there's anyone here who knows them. True. I don't know if anyone's going to come, yeah. and it's just going to be awkward. Do you um, value any review review sites or? I mean, does Publisher Publisher Weekly, is that what you say? Yeah, Publishers Weekly does reviews, and I do look at those. Um, they will pick, again, they work more in the traditional publishing um, model. So a lot of the books they review and they pick and they highlight are traditionally published books. But they will often do like tallies of self-published books that are either really well, like top selling, or that they've have singled out for reviews, and yeah. those are very persuasive. Um, what about like Kirkus? Do you, do you- Kirkus? I do look at also. Um, I guess it just sort of it, habits will vary from bookseller to bookseller. So I don't I don't actually subscribe to them, but I do end up getting their reviews as well. And again, it it matters. I mean, if I see your book was well reviewed, that always is better than seeing yeah. that either it wasn't reviewed at all do or you, wasn't. Well do you ever reviewed. go on like Goodreads to try and see? Goodreads, I go on um, Goodreads and Amazon are the two sites I will use to gauge how many people have read something. So how do you what what numbers do you look for then? Well, on Amazon, I look to see if if a book has any reviews yeah. um, and. Honestly, four or more reviews, it can begin to be persuasive, and that's not even very many, but you'd be surprised how many books, how many traditionally published books will have zero reviews. I've noticed that. I know. I I went to Barnes & Noble, got the the list of the top books that were coming out, went on Amazon, I couldn't believe how few reviews they had. So that, it does matter, and Goodreads, um, and I mentioned Edelweiss previously, which is where the catalogs are kept, it has a plugin where it actually pulls the data from Goodreads and has a bar graph that shows... Like essentially, the graph is is a, is a heuristic that's meant to dem- show how much interest there is in the book. Huh? I don't know what exactly they're using to get that number, but I look at that. It's basically a, a green bar that can be empty or full, and the fuller it is, the better it is to me. And all that really means to me is people are reading this, even if they're not giving it good reviews, they're reading it, and that that matters. Really? So, so even if it's just volume and not- volume matters often more than than really than reviews. When I'm looking at a you know. When I'm on the fence about a book, interesting. So, yeah, D- is there a cost to that metric from Edelweiss? I don't know. Um, I don't. Again, it's can an uh, author sign up for that? Authors can sign up for Edelweiss and explore it. I, my perspective on it is entirely as a bookseller, so I don't know what the features are if you're sure. an author. Yeah. Um, but any consumer can actually sign up for this website and experience it. Um, so if authors are welcome, I would suggest cool. they take a yeah. look at it no, and just experience it. Get perspective. Yeah. It's a cool, yeah. cool new lens to look exactly. through, book through. They also work with IndieBound, which is another site that I would strongly uh, suggest people look Indie at. IndieBound. IndieBound. Again, they are tied up into the rhythms and practices of traditional publishing, so it's not always going to be friendly to indie, indie authors, um, but they are a site that will feature books that are coming out in the next month with the idea that uh, independent bookstores everywhere are supposed to be looking at these lists and be stocking up these books. So, uh-huh. Yeah. 
All right, so we're running towards the end of this thing. Sure. What advice would you give to the budding author, someone who wants to go write a book, and how, what, what sort of path would you set them on to get them to probably give them the most chance for success? Um, well, so uh, there's two sort of uh, modes of advice I would give. As a writer, I think they should just write every day and read a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the two fundamental skills. If you read and write every day, every single day, yeah. I think that's how you're going to get better. Um, in terms of getting your work out there, um, I would recommend submitting your work into as many competitions um, Interesting. What as competitions? possible. Which ones? Oof. I should uh, watch what I say before I say it because I can't even name any. <laughs> we but can I, follow up. You can give it to me after. Yeah, I can give you. I mean, I, I know of a lot of local authors here who submit their things, particularly genre fiction, to horror and science fiction and fantasy contests. Yeah. I mean, even like analog science fiction, yeah. the, the monthly magazine. I mean, yeah. just getting your work out there, um, it will at least give you practice and will get you used to the so cycle. Just submit of, to everything. Submit to things. And I mean, almost every local community will have um, university uh, literary journals that accept uh, submissions from the wider community. So in Las Vegas, that would be like the Red Rock Review and Helen Literary Magazine. Um, okay. Just having your work out there will give you confidence um, when it gets published, and it will steel you against uh, feeling too de too despondent when you get rejections. Um, so I think those are those are essential practices. And if you're going to be self-publishing. Um, I think that you should not skimp on the design mm -hmm. um, and the production of your book. So yeah. it either means um, putting on a design cap yourself, um, which not all of us are lucky enough to have so many skills like you do, where your book <laughs> was, was all designed by you and looks amazing. Um, so it might mean that you have to hire a good designer, and yep. it will be worth it. Yeah. <laughs> um, last piece of advice I'd give is... Uh, you know, ebooks. As I, even though I sell print books and I'm really, uh, you know, uh, into, into into print printed matter, I do think for indie authors that ebooks are going to be probably the most lucrative um, avenue for you. So don't you know embrace that and be okay with that, mm -hmm. and uh, and know that down the road there'll be opportunities to sell the print book as well um, mm -hmm. in bookstores or otherwise. Yeah, well, that's just great. Man, I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, my pleasure. I yeah, hope this, this was been, helpful. This has been a phenomenal half hour. Oh, thank you. Thank you so I much. Love it. I love your story. Anytime. Love everything you guys are doing. Thank you. And um, until next time. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime. All right. Thank you so thank much. You. So I hope you enjoyed this first episode of Bleeding Ink. Um, I appreciate it so much that you took the time to download this episode and listen. For more episodes and giveaways head over to www.bleedingink.fm. That's www.bleedingink.fm. If you want to help me out even more, you can go check out my book, Modern Rituals, The Wayward Three, on Amazon today. And also, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm a software guy, and I make tools for writers. Check out jslauthor.com. That's for J.S. Leonard, jslauthor.com. There you can sign up for my mailing list, get free tools, and all kinds of awesome stuff. Thanks for listening. The ink is run dry. See you next time.